0: This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports. Look at that, it's noon
1: on a Friday.
0: The weekend is upon us. Toronto Today, Mike Hogan in for Gareth Wheeler, Scotty Max in at 1 o'clock. Coming up this hour, we have Richard Griffin from the Toronto Star, one of our TSN Baseball Insiders. He'll join us at 12.30. 10 or 15 minutes from now, Kristen Schulten will drop by, who covers the Leafs for TSN 1050 and tsn.ca. And the other great thing about Friday, it means it's Friday Night Football, and the man who uh, I guess kind of has to be the ringleader of the halftime pregame circus, Mr. Rod Smith from the CFL on TSN, joins us now. What's happening, sir?
2: Hoagie, it is always great to hear your voice, especially talking Argonaut football. Uh, good to be on with you. And yeah. ringleader is a good description. Um uh, I can think of a few others, but uh, <laughs> it's, like herding, it's like herding cats, well, you know, I, dealing with yeah. those guys. And,
0: I, I'm glad you're happy to hear my voice, but when I hear your voice, you make me sound like a smurf. So, no, I mean, it's on. just, oh, you've, got the, you've got the big tones. Um, before we get into the Argos and the stuff going on on the field, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you your thoughts on the new commissioner.
2: Um, I mean, I don't know a lot about Randy Ambrose, except I do remember him as a player. I've talked to Schultzy about him. They were teammates of yeah. the Argos, you may recall, in the late 80s. I remember him going to Edmonton later on, and, uh, and I certainly remember that team uh, with Damon Allen at quarterback that upset the Stampeders when the Grey Cup was in Calgary that year With the, the Flutie Stamps were 15-3, and three. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a terrific team, and, and uh, that Eskimo team coached by Ron Lancaster, who Randy Ambrosi said that even last night talking to Rod Black and Dwayne Ford, it was a tremendous influence on him in terms of football, Uh, and life, and and, uh, so I remember that 93 team, that was Randy's last year when he got a Grey Cup ring finally, so um, I think it's great to have a former player um, back in a significant part, you know, a significant role in the league as commissioner, Uh, also the the financial background is of course more important really than than even the fact that he played, so I really don't know him I'm anxious to talk to him and and hear his thoughts about, um, you know uh, where the game is and where he thinks the game should go, but it is nice to have the perspective of someone that knows the game and, and knows and appreciates the game's history.
0: There was an interesting discussion on uh, cfl.ca, and Brody interviewed him, and um, mm-hmm. he was saying, you know, you mentioned the Lancaster thing, and he told the story where, uh, as he was wrapping up his career, Ron Lancaster said, look, you're going to be a president of a company someday. Right? I'm going to call you, and I'm going to t- uh, tell you that I told you so. And uh, on his first day of the job at AGF, uh, as the president of AGF, he gets a phone call and they say, it's Coach Lancaster on line yeah. three or whatever, and, and he picks up the phone and he goes, hey coach, and it's Ron Lancaster, he says, I don't have much time, but I did want to phone you and tell you I told you so.
3: <laughs> isn't that something
0: yeah, it's a, that's a, and that's a perfect Ron Lancaster story as well
2: um, and that and you know and for people that don't know or remember I mean people may remember Ron Lancaster the coach this is also one of the greatest players in yeah. the history of the game and, and if you understand and appreciate and respect to the game's history I mean that's pretty awesome uh you know, to hear from him in that capacity all these years later, I think those are a wonderful story.
0: I don't know if there's a guy like this, and we're, we're kind of off, off the beaten path, but I don't mind because I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see if you have one of these guys in your career. Uh, but for me, it was Ron Lancaster. Ron Lancaster intimidated the hell out of me as an interviewer because I wanted to go in there with my A-plus game. I didn't want to make yeah. myself look like an idiot in front of Ron, Ron Lancaster. And... Um, because I know that it he, he was he was a great interview but I I had seen him not suffer fools gladly with some of the yeah. questions and he made me raise my game as an interviewer and and I thank you know I, I I never had the opportunity to thank him personally for that but you know in my head I've thanked him for that a million times is there one guy or or two people that you've interviewed over the course of your career that you held in such esteem and you were kind of afraid of to a degree because if you asked a a, a terrible question that snap
2: well I uh the uh, that's kind of two parts that the one i found intimidating because he didn't suffer fools and he was let's face it and, and you dealt with him as well he could be very very difficult and that was the late don master sure. um but in terms of just being intimidated uh, just the whole uh you know uh intimidated because of his greatness an old teammate back with the old ottawa rough Riders of ron lancaster's uh was russ jackson mm-hmm. and, and the Riders people remember Ron Lancaster with Saskatchewan, uh, the, you know, Ottawa had him first and then they traded yeah. him away because yeah. they had two good quarterbacks. But uh Jax and I grew up uh, just absolutely idolizing him. So when I first had a chance to interview him, even though Russ is a great guy. He's uh, not intimidating at all and mm-hmm. uh and and uh, he was very easy going, easy to get along with, but it was just one of those moments when you first interview sure. someone and you can't believe you're there, you know, uh talking to them. Um, you know that was that was kind of intimidating, but I've seen him many times since and joked around with them. And uh, but that was probably the first one. That was the, that was the biggest deal, absolutely.
0: Well, you grew up as a writer fan. You're from the capital, and and that uh, that team especially was such a big part of your youth. Um, mm-hmm. You also saw when it didn't work in Ottawa, and we're kind of mm-hmm. going through. Well, okay, we're not kind of going through that. We are going through that here in Toronto right now with the Argos. But you saw it turn around in Ottawa. Were you surprised it turned... Be honest. Were you surprised it turned around to the extent that it has?
2: Oh, beyond surprised. shocked, Really? Absolutely shocked. And I'll say this as a tie into the Argos, and I know what you're talking about, and the BMO attendance and everything else. Yeah. Anyone who had lived through and seen that Ottawa experience would know this can work again in Toronto. It Mm -hmm. can. And I believe it will. I mean, all bias aside, I really do. Um, It can work, certainly in in a market this size. I mean... Maybe not to the same extent of the old days uh, at Exhibition Stadium in the yeah. 70s, but it definitely can, because Ottawa, to me, as a market for the CFL, was dead. Uh, it, uh, and it was really, really sad. They, the old Rough Riders folded up in 96. They tried again with the Renegades uh, from, what, 02 to 05. And when that thing finally didn't work, um, I just could not imagine uh, people in Ottawa having the stomach to try this thing again. I go there now. We were there at the opener against Calgary. yeah. yeah. And also with the Eastern final last year against Edmonton. And to look around, you know, to be, to to remember as a kid going to the X, uh, the Central Canada Exhibition, Mm -hmm. which was right just north of that uh, grandstand, uh, uh, the north side of the Civic Centre, and to see it now full of bars and restaurants and activity before a game, three hours before, lots of crowds there, a great gathering place, the best Pre-game gathering place in the Canadian Football League, bar none, yeah. in my opinion, and I've seen them all. Um, and and to see what the fans are like now—it's like Saskatchewan East. I mean, there was there was palpable anger about some of the uh, calls made uh, in the game against Calgary in the season opener, and yet it was even despite the anger of the fans, they were so engaged, so rowdy. It was a good thing. It was it was a good feeling. I, I'm not used to seeing or hearing Ottawa like that before when I grew up, and. And um, it was beyond a flashback to the '70s. It was it was better than I've ever uh, uh, seen Ottawa football. So if if something like that can be resurrected with the right people in charge, I have no doubt it can be done in Toronto as well.
0: Rod Smith joining us, the host of the CFL on TSN panel, and uh, of course Friday night football tonight. Tomorrow night the Argos are up uh, in Ottawa to take on the Red Blacks. How do they win? How does Ottawa? How does uh, sorry Toronto win that game?
2: Well, protect Ricky Ray. Um, I, I'd be very curious to see what kind of uh, defensive scheme Ottawa throws at uh, you know Mark Trestman and, and Ricky Ray. Just because BC was so good at, I, I thought the BC scheme was great when they were able to get pressure with four guys. You know, with uh, you know they didn't blitz a lot and they they were in zone coverage and they, and they didn't, even though Ricky had. He still had good numbers, but the ultimate number is, you know, the, the amount of points you generate, And I thought the Lions did a terrific job after what they saw on film against uh, Hamilton when, uh, boy, Ray looked spectacular. That whole offense did. I mean, yeah. they should have had more points at the board. So um, giving Ray time, um, I think defensively, uh, Toronto looks so good, so much better than they did last year. I mean, I love the personnel changes they've made. I, I, I love what they're doing. Despite their loss to BC, that was more Lions in the fourth quarter, aided and abetted by a turnover as well. Oh. Um, I, uh, I think, I'll be curious, I'm probably more curious to see that Argo defense contends with Trevor Harris and, uh, and those receivers. I mean, that's uh, that's a very good offense. But I think if Ricky Ray has time, like he did, you know, to make sound decisions uh, like he did against Hamilton, I think this could be a very interesting football game. I'll be very curious to see which Argos show up. Not that they were—I'm not suggesting they were horrible against BC, but they were just so much better, so much more effective against Hamilton. I'll be curious to see because uh, I mean this Ottawa team is tough. Obviously, they could have won in Calgary as well.
0: I—I've been really impressed with the defense, and that has surprised me so far. Um yeah. you know, with Josh Mitchell, Mitchell getting hurt in the secondary, they're down to uh, eight new starters. <laughs> on this team, but they're all veterans. So it's, you know, oh, uh, Marcus Ball's coming back. That's interesting. Oh, here's Bear Woods. Thank you, Montreal. Uh, They bring in the three guys from Hamilton. Victor Butler has been dynamite at at the one that rushed in. But this is a team that has all of these new guys, and you hear about the continuity that you need on defense to succeed. Eight new starters, they didn't give up a touchdown in seven quarters. Like, what's this team going to look like in October?
2: I was going to, yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, now obviously what they've, you know, that linebacking court to add Woods and to get Marcus Ball back is absolutely huge. And you're right about Butler. He's been so impressive, you know, impressive getting pressure on the quarterback. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's uh, they look like the genuine article and they did against the Lions too. I mean, uh, it's not like Jennings. I mean, that that was, that was a defensive ball game until Mm -hmm. the fourth quarter, as I say, when BC started to pull away. I mean, I, I mean, I think they've held the lines to 10 points only heading into the fourth quarter of that game. Yep. So, um, no, I mean, that, that's a very good point, and that was that's that's more of the unexpected. When Mark Trestman was hired, you had to figure. You know, people talked about the whole Anthony Calvillo narrative with Ricky Ray. I mean, what sort of improvement is that offense going to make? There was a lot of emphasis, including by me, on the Argo offense. Mm-hmm. I never really thought, you know, Corey Chamberlain's brought in. I didn't really consider what, you know how much different they could be defensively and and that has been a bigger story about this Argonaut team so far no question
0: a a bigger story but one that's underplayed I mean because because the offense was so spectacular in week one and then the question was well why couldn't they throw for 500 yards every week against BC and and what's been lost in my estimation is just how good this defense has been so uh, you know maybe we'll see what they can do against Trevor Harris and company tomorrow night but I'm, I'm intrigued in which looks they give him because you know Trevor Harris as well as anybody there's a guy who right now now I can guarantee you is doing something football oriented.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. A uh, hardworking guy. we oh. talked about that before, but uh, you know, and, and I don't know him as well as you do, but, um, but yeah, I mean, talk about a dedicated, dedicated player. And I, I suppose to, to excel at that level, they all, they all are. And a by Mitchell is a very, very hard working guy. as is Mike Riley, but yeah, Harris is right in there. And that will mold. Soon, very soon, I mean, he's just about there now in terms of even this season's stats and the new core rating that the CFL has right behind uh, Bowen and, uh, and Mike Riley. So, I mean, he's, he's getting up there. I mean, if he uh, – and I know he's very motivated in Ottawa now, you know, to get another Grey Cup ring and this time be the number one guy out of Henry's shadow. And remember where he came from as well. I mean, studying under Henry and the year before that, studying under Ricky Ray, that's not too bad. Mm-hmm. That's some pretty good tutelage, right there. And Milanovich uh,
0: and Moss and Flores so. and yeah, they, it was it was a quarterback heaven, uh, in sort of that 2012 to 14 era, especially. Right. Um, what makes Trustman so good? It's been interesting being around him for the last six weeks. Um, he's a very interesting man to watch run a practice. Incredibly efficient, high tempo. Mm-hmm. Doesn't want to waste a minute. If somebody is wasting time, they will know it, and they will know it in a hurry. From Mark Trussman, and then he'll turn around and sprint forty yards to give somebody a high five because he thinks they made a good play during a uh, during a drill. I mean, he's he's been he's he's interesting to watch because he's a good cop and the bad cop at the same time.
2: Yeah, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, he is so intellectual and so sometimes he seems so much like the scholar, like the professor um, that that almost seems like a stoic, and yet he does have passion, and yet he does care about his players. Uh, and, and cares about them showing respect and being good people. I love the fact, you know, uh, he, Here's um, here are two things that aren't really, <laughs> they're not really at all similar, and yet in a way they are. One is, I mean, if he expects a receiver to run an eight-yard out, it's not seven-and-a-half, yeah. and it's not eight-and-a-half, it is eight. Mm-hmm. He expects absolute detail and precision, and he also expects everyone to be standing for the national anthem. He expects them to be respectful. Yes. In so line. To be, to be orderly, in line. And it's that attention to detail uh, and showing respect, uh, not, you know, for uh, and for your teammates as well. I, I, I think it's a great thing. I love the attitude that he's, uh, that he's instilling, and it, it's what he did in Montreal, too, and it worked for him. Here's
0: the, and, here's, uh, a, here's the one thing that I've loved about him so far, and you would love this as a, as a football geek like I know you are, and I use that as a, as a term of endearment. Um, you can ask him a, a fairly mundane football question. You'll get a fairly mundane question, uh, sorry, answer. If you get into the minutiae a little bit, Oh, does he like that? We we talked earlier this week, and it's for a piece that's going up today on Argonauts.ca about guard play, mm-hmm. and what makes a good just, just guard. guard play. Just guard, not center, right. not tackle. Right. You know, do they get lost? Is the old theory of if a guy doesn't have great feet and you can't play him in space, you you just move him inside and let him brawl? Is that ancient mm-hmm. history now? And boy do I get good answers. Oh, he just he'd love to talk about that. And and you know, that's that's who he is. He loves the minutia of the sport. And if you can get him going, that's that's where I've received my best answers so far from him, is uh, you know, you get the day to day generalities that you have to ask in the in the job. But when you mm-hmm. get into it and scratch the surface a little bit, oh man, does he love that?
2: Well he's very precise, isn't he? And he and he Absolutely he, his answers are very well thought out and, and as I say he, you can definitely see and feel that intellectual approach to it. But it, it, I can only imagine a conversation between you two, given your passion, <laughs> yeah. uh, knowledge for the game. I mean, you, you must have been like a kid in a candy oh, store. It's, awesome. so.
0: it's awesome. It's yeah. well, um, awesome. Good one tonight, Calgary and Winnipeg, and uh, hopefully a better one tomorrow night, Toronto and Ottawa. And uh, also tomorrow as part of the doubleheader, you've got Hamilton and Saskatchewan. Uh, good luck controlling the crowd tonight, uh, as far as the three amigos on the set. And uh, we'll be watching. Thanks for doing this, pal.
2: They're always fun. Always fun talking to you, too, Hoagie. Thank
0: Thanks, you. Rod. Appreciate it. That is uh, the one and only Rod Smith. Sorry. That's the one and only Rod Smith. The voice of God uh, on the CFL on TSN. Just, uh, man, what a broadcaster. And uh, always fun talking to him. Rod, the great thing about Rod, and I use the term football geek with affection, you can mention probably any playoff game or any big game or sometimes just random games going back to, like, 1970. And you go, remember the uh, the playoff game between the Cowboys and the Vikings in 1978. And Rod will go, "Oh yeah, it was 13 to 4 at halftime." And it, he'll start rattling off stats and what the final score He is insane when it comes to recall for football. So, uh, and that's it's the NFL, it's the CFL, it's the CIS. Like he is just a fountain of football knowledge and it's always great to uh, sort of diving into things with him here on TSN, and uh, we now move from uh, football to hockey, and uh, she was a bit of a a sort of a seer last year because she was able to see the future with Mitch Marner and did it perfectly. When some people were saying, I don't know if he's ready, he's a little small, it's going to be done, Kristen Shilton, our TSN Leafs analyst, dropped in and said, no, there's something about this guy this year. So, who is it this year?
1: (laughs) Oh well, I don't know. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta give me a few more days here. I don't want to make, I gotta go two for two on my predictions. No, it's, uh, it's gonna be a good week, though. I, we're just, we're here, we're doing the first, uh, group at Development Camp, and these are the camp invites. Uh, there's two groups, we got the draftees and then the invites, and already I've actually been impressed by some of these invites that we could see coming back for rookie tournaments and for rookie camp, uh, in September, so. It's already off to a pretty good start here.
0: Okay, before we talk about the players that are involved, take us through what this what this process is like. How much is on ice? Uh, What's the scrimmage process? Are there drills? Is is there video work? Exactly,
1: what are they doing? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of everything. They try to show the players, you know, what they can expect at the pro level in terms of the commitment that they have to make to their bodies, whether it's in the gym or in the kitchen. There will be, um, you know, some cooking classes, some. Uh, you know, some instruction on how to sort of take care of yourself when mom and dad aren't around and when you're sort of on your own, which a lot of these kids, 18, 19 years old, they haven't experienced that yet. So there's that aspect of it off the ice. They'll have some speakers. Um, if they go the same way as last year, they'll have a couple speakers come in and talk to them about, you know, we know how important mental health is, uh, mental health awareness is to Mike Babcock. So he usually has somebody come in and talk to them about, just making sure that they're in the right headspace if any of they feel overwhelmed you know especially as they move on in their pro careers not to be afraid to speak out so that's that's the off ice stuff but the on ice is it's skating evaluations it's battle drills it's you know they're going to have scrimmages starting tomorrow right through till Wednesday it's a lot of different um using a lot of different elements of their game and it's a lot of competition it's a lot of showing how does your skill stack up against some of the other players that are at the same level as you and so that's when you start to see certain players rising above the rest, because these a lot of these guys are on equal levels in terms of where they should be in their development. So, once the scrimmages get started tomorrow, today is more about basic skating evaluations. They're working with Barb Underhill; she's critiquing their stride and their, you know, the way that they they move with their stick and the puck. And it's a lot of nitty gritty stuff today, but the, the scrimmages will really tell us a lot about where these players are at and where they're competitive. Level is that in comparison to other players in the same age group and the same development phase as them?
0: Okay, you're really good at analyzing uh, players. Let me see if you can analyze the host here and tell me if I've got this one down. Okay. T- Timothy Lilligren.
1: It's it, close. It's Lilligren. Lilligren. Lilligren, yeah.
0: Okay. I've heard it about 14 different ways, so we'll go Lilligren.
1: <laughs> We're, we'll get him to say it on camera today. We'll get him to say his own name, and then oh, that's please what do. we'll
0: go with. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Lilligren, okay. Um, yeah. are, are he and uh, Brocko the guys that you're going to be looking at for the most part?
1: Yeah, you know, those are two guys who are definitely high on my list. I also think, you know, a guy like Adam Brooks has just totally slid under the radar already. And I think just because he's been out in the WHL, he did all five years of his eligibility. He was an overager that the Leafs drafted last year, but this is a guy who has been leading the CHL in scoring the last two years, had 130 points in 66 games last year. You know, such just an offensive machine. He was the captain of the Regina Pats. Uh He's an incredible leader, great person, great off the ice, uh, and and someone who just has this huge, you know, he's a center, which the depth in the organization at center is is weak as it is. So, Just him in general, he's someone that I'm really interested in seeing because he stood out to me immediately at camp last year. I thought he had a a terrific development camp, even amongst the Matthews and Marner hype. He was someone that every single battle drill, every scrimmage, he really stood out to me. So Bracco and and Lilligren, Joseph Wall is another one, uh, a goalie prospect, one of the brightest goalie prospects the Leafs have had, just had a terrific season uh, freshman year at Boston College. So those to me are the big four uh, that I'm going to be looking at in terms of Leafs prospects. But you look at a guy like Trevor Moore, who the Leafs signed to an ELC last year, he earned that because of his performance at this camp. So – he was uh, at the University of Denver, opted to leave Denver to come and, and join the Leafs, played for the Marlies last year. So this is a big deal. It's the camp invites. And it's a big deal because you just never know. You could be the next Trevor Moore who is being offered uh, an NHL contract when it's over.
0: Lil Lilligran. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm working on this. I haven't spoken to you since the Marlow signing. What do you think?
1: you know it was it was curious i think it's a lot of money uh for a uh, 30 guys almost 38 but the more i think about it the more i anticipate that this was just sort of the first domino of what will be more dominoes to fall in terms of trades that the Leafs are going to make uh, with them thinking ahead to next year when they're going to have some big contracts coming up, uh, you know, or Matthews, Marner are all kind of in a row are all going to need um, some, you know, they're all going to need uh, extensions. And so I'm thinking that Marlowe, I don't know exactly at this point where he fits because there's so many veteran forwards like Komarov and JVR, like they're still here and he's here. And I don't think they're going to put him in the middle. I don't think they're going to move Nylander to the middle yet. So it doesn't make sense for us to think about him as a center, but in terms of where he fits, there's too many bodies still to really say definitively, like this is how it's going to look in, in September and October. So I anticipate that the Marlowe deal is the first step in a few different things. And and it has to. I mean, they're already almost $4 million over the cap. So they've got to do something as it is. But I think how much I like this or how good I think it is for the Leafs really depends on what they do between now and September and then where he slots in uh, come September. Because I think he can contribute. I think he can still... Um, you know, this could be a fountain of youth, as Mike Babcock said, for mm-hmm. him, but there's really, in, in terms of it being good business, there's still a couple different things the need to do. They need to move JVR, they probably need to move uh, Kalmarov as well, so we'll see uh, what they do over the next couple of months.
0: And finally, the, uh, the they brought in Moore and Hainsey to replace a couple of outgoing veterans. Is, is that uh, spinning their wheels? Is it a slight improvement, a slight <laughs> decrease in talent? How do you read that?
1: It's, you know, I don't know that they would need to make that more signing if Frederick Gauthier hadn't suffered that really terrible injury that'll keep him out till November, December. I'm not sure. Like, I think with where Gauthier was at, I mean, his skating had improved so much and they really liked him when he came up for about, I think it was about 20 games maybe last year. Um, I think he was their 4C, you know, he was sort of penciled in there, but because of that injury, they needed something cheap. Or they need someone cheap. They got that in Dominic Moore for, you know, one year, million dollars. I mean, that's a great deal for the team. And it is. It's just sort of a stopgap until you figure out where you're at with Gauthier. Uh, certainly, you don't want to be hindering the development of a former first-round pick that has every, you know, that they have every intention of moving into the lineup going forward. So that's just, you know, he'll be here for a year. And if he needs, you know, if the worst happens and he needs to come back for another year, if he has a good season, uh, you know, you can always do that. Hainsey, uh, you know, I don't see him as a top four D. Lou Amarillo thinks that that's what he's going to be. I'm just not sure what that will say about the Leafs D in terms of their development. If Hainsey is still able to take a top four spot, I think that they have some good prospects coming up. They have a couple players they signed from Sweden. You know, they still have Connor Carrick. They have... Um, you know, Gardner and Zaitsev and Riley. So if those if guys who are in their top four are now getting pushed down because Hainsey's coming in at 36 years old, I'm not sure where that puts the development of some of those younger players. But I guess we will see uh, how it all shakes out come September. It's certainly... Uh, some question marks still in terms of whether Travis Dermott's ready, whether he can make the jump to the NHL, whether he would be, you know, whether he'd be fighting like a Martin Marincin and Alexei Marchenko who are still there. You know, there's like $3 million tied up in those players as well. So uh, and they didn't play very many games last season. So the Leafs do have some decisions to make on the back end as well. But where Hainsey fits in, uh, I think it's a similar situation, just sort of a veteran presence to balance the young players He's a versatile player, plays left, plays right. So he can do a lot of different things for you. But his age and his foot speed certainly will uh, be under the microscope, at least at the beginning of the season, until we see how he fits in.
0: A pleasure, as always. Enjoy the rest of camp. And next week, we will discuss who the next Mitch Marner is.
1: Absolutely, we will. Sounds good.
0: Okay, thanks, Kristen. Be well. That is Kristen Schulten joining us, TSN 1050 and tsn.ca. Maple Leafs reporter. Rich Griffin drops by next as we continue with Toronto Today here on TSN 1050. 12.31. Good day. It is Toronto Today. Mike Hogan and for Gareth Wheeler. Wheels will be back in this chair in this slot next monday and scotty max in at one o'clock today um as mentioned scotty's back in at one and uh right now getting some more baseball talk in one of our baseball insiders from the toronto star mr richard griffin what's up griff hey hoagie everything is set now right everything is good three games one in a row Ace is coming back this team is just tickety-boo to the playoffs now right
3: well, I, I wouldn't go that far, but I would say that uh, with Aaron Sanchez coming back and if Marcus Stroman's uh, finger holds up, uh, if their whole conspiracy theory uh, with MLB looking to uh, blister their way through Major League Baseball's uh, starting pitching, um, which is, seems to be Marcus's theory, uh, I think that that deepens the bullpen with Joe Biagini going back into a role that he's more comfortable, more familiar with and Joe uh, Joe Smith coming off the DL, and with the job that Danny Barnes and uh, Ryan Tapera did in the setup role for Osuna, and with Osuna showing that he can go three straight days and, and be effective and get saves on three straight days, which in the old days was, was nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. Mike Marshall would go uh, <laughs> yeah. seven days in a row and pitch multiple innings on five of them. So, yeah. But But, you know, just the trickle-up theory in the bullpen... Because of the return of Sanchez, I think you know there's reason for at least optimism towards the 500 mark. Uh, I mean, small small things first, but we know they're 0-9 in games where they have a chance to go to 500. So uh, you know if they can ever reach that, they obviously can't because of the numbers before the All-Star break. But coming out, if that rotation stays healthy and the bullpen has had to work very hard to this point. You know, I, I can see 500 and, and above and sort of hovering around the second wild card uh, for much of the summer.
0: What, to, what should we expect out of Sanchez? Because, you know, the, the, the expectations that he was back and then the blister came back a lot quicker than anybody expected. And some guys, that's a lingering problem. What, I'll ask what you expect out of Aaron Sanchez for the rest of the way.
3: Well, I, I talked to him uh, uh, for a lengthy interview in New York, yep. um, and he, you know, I, I think the first three times he came back, uh, he was trying to do it as quickly as possible before, re- you know, before really making sure that the problem was was settled. Um, I think this time he's being more conservative, and he believes. That he'll be ready to go. That he can he can do it. He doesn't know, you know. I asked him about the the baseball and and you know the the thought that the seams are lower and it's not doing the same thing. And he said it was kind of hard for him to tell because he hadn't been able to grip and and uh, throw the pitches that he would normally throw. So he doesn't know whether it, there are any changes because he's had that blister since uh, the opening of the season. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, what, you know, if he can be healthy, if he can stay healthy. But he threw 75 pitches after throwing 66 pitches. And the results in the minor leagues, when a guy's on a rehab start, is nothing because he's throwing pitches in situations that he normally wouldn't throw. He just wants to get the feel and, and throw as many of each of his pitches as he can. So, um, you know, the fact that it was 75 means that, you know, they're less stressful than major league pitches. I would say. 70 pitches, if he went four or five innings um, and handed it over to a bullpen that's, uh, you know, got a a four-day break coming up, I think that uh, four or five innings for Sanchez would be uh, a pretty good outing for him.
0: Richard Griffin from the Toronto Star, one of our baseball insiders here on TSN 1050, and there are several reasons I love talking to you. One, you have a great deal of respect for the game. Two, you're a great writer. Three, we have our mutual expo geek that we can get on from time to time.
3: Oh, there's no doubt about that one. <laughs> but, but I also love the
0: fact that you, not uh, while respecting the game, like the idiosyncratic stuff, sort of the stuff that's not on the beaten path. It might be three or four steps to either side. Um, so you will remember the blister cure that Mose, uh, Moises Alou used. Oh, yeah. Um, for those who don't know the story, what was it? And did you ask Sanchez if he prescribed the same theory?
3: Well, uh... I think that, uh, you know, Moises is, uh, is more old school uh, <laughs> than than Aaron Sanchez would be. And, uh, you know, I think they'd be throwing baseballs out of play after every pitch if, if that was Sanchez's cure. And, and it was uh, basically urinating on your own hands. He, he peed on his hands. Yeah. So <laughs> th- there, there's something... Uh, you know, maybe, maybe it was the uh, twelve beers that he had the night before yes. that was coming out and, and toughening up his hands. I don't know, but, but and if
0: you don't know, Griff, nobody does.
3: Yeah, but I, you know, I was often with him the night before, um, and I guess my hands didn't need toughening up because I never tried it myself. <laughs>
0: So, so he did. Sanchez did not talk about whether or not that was a, a, an option for him. No,
3: I think, I think uh, the most exotic might be pickle juice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've, I've heard that one as well. It's just, I guess, that whatever works works as yeah. long as it does. Um, you obviously have established some pretty good contacts in the organization. Uh, It's tough for us on the outside to try and figure out which direction this team is going to go because there are different options. There's stay the course, maybe add a spot or two and make a run at the second wildcard spot or even the first wildcard spot uh, because the division crown seems a little out of reach at this stage. Uh, There's to do some little bit of tinkering, maybe do a little selling or blow it up real good. Which, From what you've been able to ascertain, which way are they leaning right now, knowing full well that that could change tomorrow?
3: Well, I I think the beauty of this whole thing is the influence that the Blue Jays fan base has on this whole question. Because the fan base, you know, you go there every day and there's 38,000 to 46,000 people there. And and when Mark Shapiro took over, that was not the case. When he was hired, that was not the case. That only happened in the second half of 2015 when when Alex Anthopoulos was was giving the organization that we're number one. I don't, I don't know which finger he was using, but <laughs> he, he went out and made a, a contender out of it. And the fans started jamming the place. And all of a sudden, right now in 2017, it's difficult for them to go, oh, we're going to trade... Josh Donaldson for three prospects that can help us two years from now because two years from now if they go into a rebuild total rebuild mode and they expect to win a maximum 81 games the next two years a lot of that casual fan base that loves going out and standing on the flight deck and having a beer and maybe firing one at an outfielder every now and then (laughs) that fan base is not going to stay around and who knows how long it would take to get them back and and Shapiro especially understands that, and congratulations to the fan base for making it very difficult for them to blow this thing up.
0: But you're saying that maybe, as great as the fan base has been, and as great a story as that for the, you know, financial ramifications with the club, that maybe it could help them long term because it might be an opportunity to, you know, cash in big on Donaldson.
3: Well, I, I personally I would not. Trade Donaldson, mm-hmm. because next year is going to be a very important transition year. You look at, I think Baseball America just released their top 100 prospects uh, in Major League Baseball, and with 30 teams, you, sh- you expect to have three and a third if you've got a good organization. Jays have four, and they're position players. You've got uh, Lourdes Guriel, Anthony Alford, and then the two guys who just got promoted to Dunedin, uh, Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero Jr., yeah. So next year is a very big transition year and I would not sign Josh Donaldson to a a contract that with an annual average value of 30 million for 5 years or whatever because of his age because you never know with injuries and because that very rarely works out. But I think 2018 is a key year for the organization and for keeping the fan base around and for transitioning to guys that they're building In their own farm system.
0: Uh, I will end this with uh, our our mutual inner expo geek uh, and allow that to come out. Happy Tim Raines Hall of Fame induction month.
3: Yeah, you, you too. And that, that uh, you know, I'm so glad that Andre Dawson got in before him because he was his mentor, and it's going to be great to see Dawson on stage with Reigns giving his uh, his speech, and it's going to be a pretty goofy, loose speech.
0: Did you think that this, day, uh, this month, I guess, would ever come?
3: I, as his numbers went up, I did. And as the campaign started to include the analytics crowd, who sort of parsed Reigns' career into not only just a stolen base thing, but an on-base and a power and... A, Uh, All those combinations that the analytics people love. And and that's when I began to believe that he would be in and this, this day would come.
0: Can't wait for it. Uh, It'll be a fun day in Cooperstown. I I hope we uh, speak before that. Uh, I'm in next week for Scotty, so I'm sure we will at some point. But uh, have a great weekend, Griffin. Uh, Hopefully we will speak next week. Okay, Hoagie, thanks. That is Richard Griffin, one of our baseball insiders. Of course, you can read him regularly as a baseball columnist with the Toronto Star. When we come back, we'll get you ready for Scotty Mack, his arrival, and more baseball talk, obviously, ahead as we continue uh, with Toronto Today here on TSN 1050. Twelve forty seven. This is Toronto today on TSN ten fifty. Michael getting for Gareth Wheeler, and the wheels will be back in this slot on Monday morning at eleven o'clock. Scotty Mack in at one o'clock. Today, the big news here in Toronto. I guess I guess there's a double dose, right? Because we've got the uh, the Sanchez return tonight, which is which is big news. Obviously, if uh, if you uh, if your favorite local team would be the Blue Jays, if your favorite team is the Raptors, and you're allowed to like more than one team in the city. And sometimes in this city it's a little weird because there seems to be a a healthy dose of, of, in some cases, hatred or jealousy or you just don't like the other team. seems to go on a lot more in this village than it does in other towns, but maybe now that everybody's starting to win again to a degree. Uh, maybe there can be a little more peace in the Valley. But um, with uh, with the Raptors, some good news today is they were able to bring the guys to the podium. Um, the, the two players that they were able to ink to deals on Sunday, um, keeping both Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka, is great news if you're a Raptors fan. I didn't think they would be able to do that, and I thought if they brought back Lowry, they would have to give him some ridiculous money at some ridiculous term. And, yeah, an average of... 33 and a third million dollars a year is stupidly good money by anybody's definition. Um, Good for him for getting it. But it's only three years. So if you were worried like I was at the back half of the contract, the back third of the contract it was like a six-year deal five-year deal that it was going to be problematic and it was going to burn off a lot of cap space and you'd have a an unhappy point guard sitting at the end of the bench or getting uh not enough minutes to justify the you know whatever kind of money he was going to get on a six-year deal don't have to worry about it came back for three that's perfect like it, it, it couldn't in my estimation be a better contract for the team and if you know Lowry's set for the rest of his life and his kids' lives and his grandkids' lives and unless he gets built by somebody and we all hope that doesn't happen. But if you he, if he's just conservative with his money, like as Jack Armstrong is is wont to say, how many Ferraris can you buy? How many can you own? And and you know, hundred million dollars? And he's gonna be spending up half the season in Canada? At 70 cents on the dollar, that's a really good contract. So, good for Lowry. I didn't think they'd both be back, but they are. And uh, we're going to play some audio from the news conferences that we heard earlier today here on TSN 1050. And this is uh, Masayu Jiri, the president of the Toronto Raptors, uh, talking about the return of one Kyle Lowry.
4: Yes, there are many things we we think about. I think... um, I think defensively and playing hard is IMO. That's everybody uh, knows that we're going to do that, and um, we want to. We really want to continue to do that, and um, we want to use the skill of our players a little bit more. I think uh, next year, and um, whether it's passing, whether it's cutting, uh, whether it's Demar bringing the ball down, all those kind of things. Um, Kyle playing the two. There's so many things we want to try and figure out uh, uh, going into training camp. And Coach has done a great job, I think, um, really digging deep and seeing um, uh, more kind of, uh, all the kinds of things that uh, could help the team.
0: That's Masayu Jiri talking about uh, Kyle Lowry back in the fold at the point. And there's a couple ways to look at this. The, the, if you're a, half, a glass half full kind of person, you're looking at the Toronto Raptors and saying, "Hey, they got Lowry back, they got DeRozan, they got I uh, got Ibaka, you know, JV is still here, they got a bunch of kids coming up. This is a really good team. This is the most successful team in Raptors history and they'll find a way to replace Pat Pat and Tucker who were role players and maybe they can do that internally with some of the kids that they have and uh, shuffling some of the positions, go out and make a trade. There's your there's your optimist. The pessimist is looking at the glass being half empty and going, "There's no damn way they're going to beat Cleveland, and if they beat Cleveland, good luck against the West." That's the pessimistic take, uh, a realistic take, take mind you, um, and that's the frustrating thing because you know this isn't a this is the Toronto Raptors are a good team in a league where you need a super team right now where the elite teams in the NBA have not one, not two, but at least three superstar players. Raptors have three exceptionally good players on their roster. Like, really, really good players. And a guy like Ibaka in this era is even better and more important than he would have been, say, six or seven years ago with the emphasis on the three ball and big guys being not only able to shoot it but allowed to shoot it and have to go out to defend it. So now, they've got the band together again. How, Masai Jury, how good is the team chemistry?
4: We've done all kinds of studies, whether it's players, whether it's draft coming up, whether it's... Um um, the landscape of the NBA and um, for the Eastern Conference, all those things, and uh, you never know where these things go. I think we, all we are trying to do is set up ourselves uh, to try and be competitive to uh, put yourself in a position to maybe compete for a championship, and um, it, it all is based on, you know, um, the team chemistry, all those things coming together. So, um, hopefully, um, uh, we can um, we can start this three years on a good note.
0: That is Serge Ibaka. Or sorry, that's uh, Masai Ujiri. We're going to get into Serge Ibaka here in a couple of seconds. And the good thing again is for Raptor fans. I think that there was a little hesitation about where this team was going to go. And, you know, Jays fans are going through that right now. We talked about that with Rich Griffin. What do the Jays do right now? Are they going to trade Donaldson? Are they going to take what they have and dismantle it? Are they going to do a partial dismantling? Are they going to go full bore and just blow it up? Are they going to stay the course? Don't know. Nobody knows right now. I don't even know if they fully know within the Jays' front office. And I don't mean that as an insult. This is It's a very precarious situation that they're in right now, and they've got to, they've got to walk that tightrope very carefully. If you're a Raptors fan, well, now you know what the next three years look like. They are committed to winning over the next three years. And how they go about that, how they get better, we'll find out. But as a Toronto sports fan, is there a general manager in this town right now that makes you more comfortable than Masayu Jiri? Has he been a 100%? No. He traded Bargnani. He got rid of that contract. He got rid of Rudy Gay. Look at look at how he ripped off uh, Milwaukee. I mean, there have been some spectacular moves made. So I guess in Maasai we trust. Uh, Serge Ibaka also spoke about coming back here. He thanked the fans. He, he said that was a big part of it. Also talked about uh, his daughter. He's got one daughter, and he said it was important to her that she liked the city and he said despite the cold, she really loves it in Toronto, and that was really important to him as a dad to make sure that the family was happy as well. Uh, and he really liked playing here, and uh, where will he be playing? Serge, are you going to play the 4 or the 5?
5: If coach asks me to play 4 or my team need me to play in the 4 or 5, I'm going re- to be ready for you know, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to do whatever is good for the team or whatever going to make the team better, I'm going to be ready to do it.
0: There we go. That seems like him, right? I mean, sometimes you get that answer at a news conference, and it, it sounds like it's just an athlete trying to say the politically correct thing. But when Ibaka says that, it, it sounds like he means it. I, I don't think he cares if he's playing the four or the five. I mean, that's just that, that's how you line up, and obviously that's going to change over the course anyway, uh, and it depends on the matchup, how he's going to play that person. And if that means, okay, I'm going to play a little tighter to the basket and defend the rim and uh, play with my back uh, to the basket for the most part, um, that's fine or if he needs to get out if he's covering somebody a little bit smaller somebody who can shoot a little bit better uh, where he's got to be concerned with the perimeter defense well, that's the role he's going to play as well and why is he back? well, they have unfinished business
5: I think it will be it will be a big difference because uh, I spoke with Masai last time I feel like uh, we have unfinished business you know, and uh it's always uh, very important for the team and players to have training camp together, to start everything together, you know, and uh, I'm not going to get excuse about that, but I feel like, uh, like you said, if we, we started training camp together, everybody, here with Kai, and uh, I think it, it can be a lot, a lot, a lot better than the, uh, what we did in, uh, last year, and like I say again, uh, This is why I'm here, because I feel like we really haven't finished business. There we go.
0: That's Serge Ibaka. I can't tell you how elated I was on Sunday when they brought both of those guys back. I didn't know if either one of them would be back. I assumed Lowry was gone. I didn't want to see him sign a a six-year contract here. Just didn't want it to happen. Him back at three years, Ibaka back, period. Oh. I was a very happy man to see those. Uh, That's going to do it for this program. As mentioned, Wheels is going to be back on um, Monday at 11 o'clock. Scotty Mack's coming up next. My thanks to Keith Bauer, our technical poobod today. To Sean Lavery, our producer today. And thank you to you for listening. I'll be back in next week for Scotty Mack. But the man himself is up next here on TSN 1050.